It's a, it's amazing to me how blockchain fundamentally solves so many heavy problems and yet so many blockchain creators make it hard for the very people who need those problems solved to use it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. We're now off into 2024. There's a lot of action happening in crypto land, a lot of action happening over in, in the Bitcoin world, a lot of action happening over even in the non-crypto world with like new hardware stuff coming out. Actually, I haven't even seen many crypto apps that are utilizing the Apple Vision Pro or, or I haven't really taken a, a deep dive into any of like hardware stuff. But actually, we'll talk to our guests a little bit about that. I'm your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of the Charlie Shrem Show together for a very long time. Thank you guys for coming and leaving those reviews together the past couple of days. I really appreciate them. It helps the rankings, hitting that subscribe button. It really, it helps so much. And together we've been doing this to understand how this movement truly came to be, where we are right now. We tell stories of the old days. We bring it back to now, talk about where we expect things to go in the future. And it's cool because if you go listen to like every episode in the past, six years, you've noticed that everything that we talk about comes true. All the waves happen. They end up landing. Every like, you know, portion of our industry that we talk about that's really small, that nothing was really built yet, is now years later built out. Things are happening. We're bringing these people back there. Their companies have launched. Like, like it's just cool to kind of be with you, trailblazing from behind this desk at the same time, talking to some of the best, most smartest people, those who are building out some of the coolest things. And it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to introduce my guest today. He's a good friend of mine. We work together at our venture capital fund, Drew Adventures. His name is Chris Jenkins, but we all call him Jinx. Thanks, Jinx. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, awesome. I'm super excited to be here. You're not only the general partner at Drew Adventures, a lot of people don't actually know what goes on behind the scenes at a VC fund, like the, the conversations about like off fielding the companies that, that are looking for investment. But then once we like like a project, there's always things that we want to fix and, and help. But you're also your other hat working other than working at, uh, at Druid is you've the co-founder of Pocketpool.com and Pocketpool is, is a huge company that supports the pocket ecosystem, node, decentralized node infrastructure. You were also the chief digital officer at the Symphony Agency. You oversaw technical and business development across all strategies and clients. You were the chief architect at Benefit Next. You got your degree from Microsoft and you've been around the tech world for a very long time, bringing your, your expertise and experience. And I want to ask I you- I earned all this gray hair. Right, yeah. No, it's all, it's dye. Cause I got gray hair too coming in. It's, I just <laughs> tell people I purposely make myself look older. Good question I want to ask you though. One of the most important pieces of crypto, and it's one of the, the largest, you know, parts of, of the white paper, the original Bitcoin white paper, is this idea of like node infrastructure or validator infrastructure. It's like so important to decentralization. And what I just said went over the head of like half of my listeners. Why is that so important? <laughs> and what is that? Well, it's funny. I think it was 2017 or so. I was looking around at the space and, and they calculated at the time that more than half of all blockchain infrastructure was sitting on Amazon, which means that a single person could have shut off most of, of the blockchain services in the world at the time. And even as we started to get away from, you know, using pure cloud services uh, to host uh, blockchain nodes, we still had centralized providers like Infura who 
you know, when they went down, all of a sudden Ethereum went down more or less because so many people were reliant on this centralized provider. Uh, and so I think the the first wave where decentralization was really understood to be so key was in the original rise of Web3 back in, you know, 20 and 21, as people started to understand that it's it's really absolutely critical that there are people, individuals running physical machines that are nodes on these uh, networks for them to truly be unstoppable. You don't get most of the benefits of blockchain if you're on a, a network or an infrastructure that can just be taken down. It's not just though like five people running 10,000 nodes each and voila, you have 50,000 nodes. There's a lot more that goes into it. It's, it's geographical based. It's how do you make sure that people running the nodes are actual individual people, especially when you don't want to start collecting centralized documentation? Yeah, I mean, that that really comes down to the incentivization design, right? You, you've got to make it both easy and affordable and, you know, potentially profitable to run nodes. And, and profit can mean different things to different people. I know a lot of people who are running like desktop small cap Ethereum nodes just because they want to be able to pull Ethereum data quickly from a local source uh, without having to pay a third party service for it. That's certainly one way to do that. But when we look at like Pocket Network, which is, you know, the, the base layer RPC provider in the decentralized blockchain space, anyone who's running a chain node supporting whatever chain that they're on should probably also be running a Pocket node because that then contributes to the decentralization of that network and they earn some Pocket along the way for doing it. How did the Pocket ecosystem start? Was it, did it start because of what you just said? I, we had Michael actually on this show the founder of, of the Pocket Network. Oh my God, I remember when I recorded with him, I was in my recording studio downtown Sarasota. So that must be like at least pre-COVID. Mm, wow. I know, it's a long... No, but Yeah, like I mean, I've, I've time, been yeah. a part of Pocket since... Like, I, I, Michael and I started talking in early 2017. We did some uh, development work together. Uh, he was working on Pocket at the time and was a huge advocate for blockchain. But he was entirely inspired by the fact that seeing how much of the blockchain was was running on centralized cloud services. I think it was the founder of Atom at the time who had done the work to discover how many nodes were sitting on AWS. And it was just like it, it, incredible. And so when Infura had their big notable outage, which I think was um, maybe 2020, somewhere mm -hmm. around then, that really kind of drove it home for everyone that, hey, listen, all of this so-called unstoppable blockchain grinds to a halt if you can't access data from it because a single provider has gone down. It's so antithetical to the mission yeah. of blockchain and especially to the mission of Bitcoin. You know, if we want to have this sort of everyone bank, if we want to have these everyone networks that are always running, that are uncensorable and unstoppable, we have to, to participate in that and participate in a meaningful way. And platforms and protocols like Pocket, I think, help make that easy for everyone to participate. I have a Bitcoin node in the other in the other room, but I don't earn anything from it. And I pretty much people who run Bitcoin specific nodes just do it just to be part of that kind of religious movement. Do you kind of think there would ever be a way to incentivize Bitcoin nodes? You know, it's it's so hard to say because Bitcoin has come so far since it started. I mean. Nobody ever would have thought about ordinals and, and yeah. lightning and, and all these, you know, all these sort of platforms and sidechain type stuff being built alongside Bitcoin. Mint Layer is another example of that. 
I don't think that Bitcoin itself will necessarily have that sort of built-in node running incentivization, given that the proof of work structure makes it yeah. um, that you're really trying to compete from a terahash perspective. But if we look at all of the other options that are building up around it, I can certainly see a, a healthy economy in supporting node running while also, you know, running something that's related to it, a side chain, a layer two, something like that. So I can see how like from a I always like from like an attack perspective, that's how they used to attack chains. Like there was a website called like 51%attack.com. I don't know if it's still around. And you yep. can just like see the cost of like taking over these chains, taking over like a, like all the nodes or if it's like a mining blockchain, like or if it's a proof of stake blockchain, like however it is. So does having a better node infrastructure prevent something like that from happening? Like what type of attacks are you preventing? Oh, yeah. I mean, Gosh, you, you're, you've been around Bitcoin long enough that you remember, I'm sure, that a state actor, which I won't specifically reference here, did basically for several hours achieve a 51% consensus on the Bitcoin network. And it was like, I think that was terrifying yeah. for a lot of Bitcoin originalists that, you know, everybody's like, oh, it would be too expensive. It would be this, it would be that. But then you have to think about entities as large as national governments and the kind of resources they have to That's bear. The fear. And blockchain itself is specifically supposed to solve some of these issues, but without adequate decentralization, that doesn't happen. So everybody who is participating in an infrastructure project like Pocket is also running nodes on that chain. That's how they connect the Pocket network to that chain specifically. And the more nodes that are on a network, the harder it becomes to, to gain, you know, attack power on that network. Look at how far Bitcoin's yeah. come in total nodes since that time frame. It's become a lot more defensible at this point. In fact, I, I would venture to say probably, if not unattackable, close to that with the amount of nodes and the distribution of nodes. You mentioned uh, uh, geographic distribution. That's another yeah. key part of the equation. It's got to be spread out around the world. And that also comes into performance, right? You don't want to be querying a, a Bitcoin node in Los Angeles if you're in Singapore. You know, you need local ingress and egress. I wish I knew you back in like 2016 because 2015 even because there were the, the block size war that was happening. It's, it was really bad. Like that's why you got Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Satoshi Vision and that whole like CSW thing of the fake Toshi coming in and claiming he's Satoshi and being able to spin off his own, like the, he was able to take advantage of a of, of a war that was already happening within the Bitcoin community over like increasing the block size. And I wish I knew you because it's not that it was so black and white. It wasn't, but you couldn't find people to properly explain the problem. And then everyone who could explain the problem was always trying to explain their version of the solution. And it was so polarizing. And it was such a like, do we raise the block size or not? But there were so many factions of people that wanted different things. What it came down to is that if you allow for a larger block size without doing it in an optimizing way where you're lowering the, the weight that it takes up on the, on the data file, if you will, if you raise the block size, you make nodes have to be more expensive and better computers, and therefore you'll have less nodes and therefore more centralization on a blockchain. Whereas if you keep the nodes, I remember they would say like, oh, we need to make the Bitcoin node run on a Raspberry Pi. That was like the whole thing. Is there any like truth to all <laughs> yeah. that shit? Like what went on there? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's that there really, there is a, a lot of truth to that. We've seen, you know, as, as, 
Uh, here, the, one of the funniest stories of, of my uh, blockchain career. Around 2015 or so, I was still working from home, working on the, the first startup that I actually got some success in. And I had a work computer and I was looking at Bitcoin mining and I installed a miner and I was like, hey, I'll, I want yeah. to play with this. We'll spin it up and see what happens. And so I started it and the fan on my machine started going nuts. It was like whining at max RPMs. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is my work machine. I don't know what this thing is doing here. I, I, I'm not trying to get into all that. And the next day I found Dogecoin and installed their little thing. And it didn't seem to be taxing my computer at all. So I was like, woo, this is so fun. And I ended up mining like a significant number of Dogecoin oh, uh, awesome. over the, the years that I was running it. But then I look at what that would have been if I'd really just left that Bitcoin miner running. The complexity factor uh, or, or the difficulty factor in solving Bitcoin hashes, right, is something that, you know, is sort of a built-in protection over yeah. time that uh, the more people participating in the network, the, the higher that level of complexity gets and, and the harder it is to win the race, so to speak. The rotating L1 thesis that Chainlink God wrote talked about this problem quite a bit. Every new L1 that's coming into the space is coming into the space offering speed and, and yes. ease of use and less resource usage and all the rest of that. But it's because they don't have much data in their chain. And over time, as usage increases and network congestion begins to form and the amount of data that has to be synced in, in this distributed ledger, that all builds up. They become just as every congested one. and yeah. slow as other L1s. And so every single one, like that's just the thing, right? And so it, it really takes a fundamental change of architecture to get around these problems. That's why we have rollups now, for instance. We used to joke about speed running Bitcoin shopping for double and triple spend attacks at the mall way back in the day, right? Because you needed mm -hmm. 10 six minute verifications or, or six 10 minute verifications the other way around, but essentially an hour before the transaction was fully settled, right? And so the question was, if all the stores in the mall accepted Bitcoin, how many stores could I hit and spend the same Bitcoin before yeah. my first transaction was fully settled, right? All I needed was different points of sale within a runnable distance. And now we've seen that with architecture solutions, Lightning and, and other, you know, sidechain or, or layer two type products, we're able to do some of the work that's required in a faster way while then handing that rolled up data to the parent chain uh, in its normal cycling time frame. So, I mean, these are, these are architectural problems. That, that aren't really solvable within the, the same core protocol. Like it has to, to move into a Bitcoin different Bitcoin mempool. Is that possible? Just roll it up into a ZK mm -hmm. roll. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things with Pocket Network. Somebody was asking, you know, because it normally takes, uh, the, the Pocket Network takes about 15 minutes for each block, right? And, and so somebody was asking me like, man, it takes 15 minutes for any transaction to occur. How is that going to be useful as an RPC network? Well, I mean, tens of to hundreds of thousands of transactions are occurring within that 15 minutes. Yes. You just get this one roll-up block at the end of each cycle, which racks them all up and, and indexes them. That's what people kind of need to understand, too, with that is that there is that like, you know, a lot of wallets choose to not show incoming unconfirmed transactions for that purpose. But if you had wallets that kind of showed like a pending transaction or like there was some roll-up mechanism to prevent, you know, you could solve the double spending problem right there. A lot of people are trying to do it. It's it's kind of cool that you we talked about all these different blockchains like going out there and 
and playing around and having their little science experiments and like becoming more efficient. And then we talked about Bitcoin and some of the other older chains like using those learning technologies and adopting them. And that's really what happens in the yeah, end. Yeah, I mean, of the it's, day. you know, it, we we talk all the time and, and I I have a lot of Bitcoin maxi friends, love to them. But I, I do think that it's kind of a narrow perspective to not allow for the fact that blockchain is a massive, massive space that benefits from competition and innovation and, and differing architectural approaches and all the rest of this. And that all eventually makes its way back to the big daddy, right? Bitcoin always is going to be the driver in the blockchain market. When it goes up, other things go up. When it goes down, everything goes down, right? That is the grandfather in the space. But if we only ever worked in the Bitcoin space, we wouldn't have transformable encrypted data right now. We wouldn't yes. have uh, the ability to do lightning fast transactions on the Bitcoin uh, network right now. When we talk about Bitcoin as money, right, it needs to be able to act like money and, and money doesn't take an hour to settle. Money shouldn't take an hour to settle. It's it's such an interesting thing how like data and money, it's all it's all changed. We were talking earlier, you and I on our Zoom with, with the rest of the fund that it's crazy how like some of these kids that are pitching us their their companies have never lived through like the great financial crisis, like where, you know, paper trading fell apart. And so that's why when you're we're doing crypto stuff, we're, we're being very cognizant of making sure there's no like double proliferation of assets or like we're rehypothecating stuff that we're not. But a lot of it's it's definitely <laughs> yeah. like without those lessons that you go through, I don't know how, you know, I always joke that this country needs like some sort of national service or something. I don't know what it doesn't have to be like army or military related, but like service to the to the country or something like go work in a national forest. For yeah, a I mean, if I'm OK <laughs> with those kinds of things. But, you know, I, I, the country actually needs a, a, a dedicated blockchain department to, to encourage this kind of stuff. I mean, blockchain itself and not even blockchain, DLT. Yeah, I'm surprised we don't have one. Right. At the federal level. Right. Because it solves so many issues, right? And, and I wonder sometimes, you know, how many people benefit from blockchain being treated as though it's it's something that should be illegal yeah. when, you know, if you're concerned about money laundering, look at what chain a chain analyst and, and Zach XBT and some of these other guys are able to do with tracking down stolen funds in blockchain, right? Yes. You cannot get around a public transaction record. It's funny that you, you bring that up and it gives me opportunity to give some props here to our local... Uh, Florida Blockchain Business Association, the FPBA. You know, the guy, Sam Arms, he's the founder. And a lot of our portfolio companies are members of it. Let me tell you what he did. You you brought up something that he did. It, it's so brilliant. He got, he's so forward thinking when it comes to politics. He got the governor to create a blockchain like board, advisory board, kind of like what you're talking about, not on the federal level, on the state level here in Florida. He Knowing full well that the governor's office will just appoint like lackeys that don't really like block. He knew that. And he knew that they were going to come out with a report, which they did, saying that blockchain was going to have nothing. That has going to have no help. But what he realized, he's like, Charlie, now that that office is established and it doesn't cost the state anything, people will cycle in and out of those roles. It's just creating that first kind of flywheel effect. I'd love to have that. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, we we talked about this the other day with with buying cars, right? The for anybody who doesn't know, never ever ever buy the first model year of any vehicle. They've got to work out all the bugs, right? But the fact that that first year of the model exists 
means that now you have access to this kind of thing. The Cybertruck's probably a great example of that. And opening up a, you know, any bureaucracy, it never gets smaller, right? It only maintains its size or grows. So now that this blockchain office exists, uh, it's probably going to be there forever. And eventually, at some point in time, somebody who has come up into the political arena, who's been around long enough to understand blockchain and cryptocurrencies and how it all works, is going to sit in that chair. Oh, yeah. And when it does, we'll probably see some useful legislation get developed around it. You work with a lot of companies helping them on their consumer-facing presence, whether it's like their, their product and how they sell it to their customers or their website. Is there any like common denominator thing? A lot of listeners of this of the show have their own small crypto businesses, are doing something like a side hustle. They're they're earning money. I will say that most of the listeners are are earning money in crypto somehow, holding, earning, working in it. They're doing something related. Do you see any common denominator? Any tips you can you can give or advice? You know, Web two SaaS companies in particular have spent like the last couple of decades learning how to optimize for user experience, right? And, and the way that that works is this. I identify who my user is in detail, uh, not some generic demographic, white guy 42, whatever, right? Yeah. But like literally, okay, Jinx is a general partner at a venture capital fund that focuses on blockchain. What are the problems that he faces, right? And then I look at what I'm offering and how what I'm offering solves that problem. And I need to draw a map between those two things, right? The, the user that I want and the solution that I'm offering and how to get them to convert into that sale. And that map should be as short a step as possible from A to B. Let me show up, immediately understand what you're offering in the clearest way possible, limit the buzzwords, limit the jargon, limit all the rest of that, make it dead easy for me to understand the solution that you're offering, and more importantly, to buy that solution. One of the, the jokes that we had running in the blockchain space for a while is, oh yeah, this is easy. So you just convert frog token to ST frog, and then you stake it over here on the bar curve uh, platform, and then you draw a collateralized uh, token from like, no, yeah. you know, if your thing takes 12 steps, that's 11 too many. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. It's like, and a lot of the times too, I, you're, you know, I'm thinking about a good idea and then I end up asking myself, am I creating a problem or is this a real problem that I'm solving? And like most of the time I'm like creating a problem just because I want to start a new it's a, It's amazing to me how, Blockchain fundamentally solves so many heavy problems, and yet so many blockchain creators make it hard for the very people who need those problems solved to use it. I'm, that's how I'm starting the show right there. That's like the that's like the the, the tag. Like that's gonna the, the hook to make people listen. That's to our the lead in teaser. It's so true. No, it's so, but it's it's getting better and it's changing. And unfortunately, we need bear markets to learn this shit. Yeah, it's, it's funny how in the 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 exuberance of a bull run, you know, anything that produces a block every 10 minutes or so can can get $10 million in funding. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's, so it's my new uh, blockchain-powered bidet, right? Uh, every time it cleans my ass, it's 10-minute uh, blocks, a block. 10 million in funding. That should be our <laughs> slogan. But, you know, the, the bear markets are really where the, the, the meat hits the frying pan, right? You either make bacon or you yeah. don't. That's a necessary stage, I think, to flush out all the stuff that shouldn't be there and to see what the market really needs. 
And if you're building a blockchain powered project right now, especially in the consumer facing deep end segment, you're trying to onboard normies and you need to understand that it needs to be normie simple. What are your thoughts on the Apple Vision Pro? Is it more of the same or is it like the watershed moment next level? We used to joke back in the day that, you know, you could invent anything, but until Apple released a a knockoff of it, uh, it wasn't going to be popular. So far to date, that has always proven true. I was a a Google Glass user back in 2011 or 2013, I guess, uh, in that region. And we were, you know, experimenting. A lot of people don't seem to understand that, you know, that was a prototype program, not a retail product. Uh, I actually ended up getting three different versions of the device while I was in that program. That's what you were paying for was access to the program. I remember it was like a development program. Yeah, and and it was just a total moonshot. They were asking the question, if we allowed people to do computing from a facial heads-up perspective, what would be the use case of that, right? And in the last 10 years, we've seen a number of attempts at it. I've, I've looked at and used a number of those products along the way. Apple now is taking a stab at that marketplace, and with their engineering cachet and their marketing prowess and all the rest of those things, I think we will hit a a wider adoption, probably the widest adoption that we've seen since the Oculus Rift came out, right? And again, though, this is their first model year. I would recommend waiting for year two or year three, unless you're a bleeding edge adopter. No, it'll get cheaper and smaller and better. Right. Longer battery life. That's how it always works, right? You know, let a product get a little mature then jump in, unless you're a gadget nerd and you just want to be first out of the on the block. I don't think that we're there yet in AR, MR, spatial computing, whatever they want to call it. I do think that battery life needs to get better. CPU and GPU power needs to, to get more micro in, in yeah. size total. And, and this comes from somebody who has been an AR fanatic since it was a thing in science fiction. I'm excited about these products. But I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, it's I don't understand why for there at this spatial computing, I still can't get my Roomba to just stay in one room. Those little <laughs> laser things, they don't fucking work. Oh, God. They, I, and I have two of them and, and I have exactly the same problems. And by the way, Roomba, create a web app, please. I can't draw maps on my phone. They they make Roombas now that cut that mo. That mow the lawn, and I could just see them like rolling <laughs> off of people's seawalls. Oh god, in and killing the neighbor's cat. You know that's going to be the case. <laughs> man, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, it's man. I awesome. love your show. Love, love your work and and uh, everything that you've. Been I love working in. with you. You're, you're one of those pieces of uh, Bitcoin history. We have a lot of fun. That's the best part. I will say the last year and a half has just been like just like I really say that I have fun going to work. It's a lot of fun. I don't like ever not look forward to any of our Zooms. It's just a good time, no matter what we're doing. We have the most boring conversation. It's just we're always having a good time. <laughs> As a startup founder and operator prior to being here, it's it's really nice being on this side of the table and being able to directly contribute to the next generation of startups coming down and, and going, you've got a great idea. You deserve a shot. Let's make it happen. All right, man. Have a great weekend. You got it, bro. Talk soon. I've had some crazy conversations in the last couple of days. My really good friend, Brandon Goldman, who runs a, an AI defense fund, they're like investing tens of millions of dollars into AI defense to prevent AGI and preventing things from becoming too centrist. 
He knows that I'm investing at Druid Ventures all the time. And he said, Charlie, just promise me every investment you make in crypto, in AI, when any project you look at or, or anything that you do, just make sure you're trying to benefit the user and not the AI. There's going to need to be private, public, government companies that'll like create tools like proof of human, proof of brain. Like, how do you know that you're talking to a human on the other side? How do you know that the software isn't lying? There's another company today that I was talking to that's trying to build out basically like crypto containers, if you will, where, where all the code is kept, you know, privately on your own server. But if you need to give access to it, it's a very complicated type of public private key technology that can be used. Anyways, I'm digressing. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. Danny Lim. Dr. Lim, I apologize. I, I ramble off nope. for a few minutes, but thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Yeah, thanks. It's been a crazy couple of days. My head has been so deep in, in AI defense. I mean, what do you think about all that? Do you think it's something we should care about? Yeah, definitely. AI is a trend. Like recently, the Sora, the, the publications of Sora, I think it's amazing. Like finally, someone can use it then. I guess there are a lot of job cutting of Hollywood people. I think it's, it's a dilemma or rather an issue that we should actually look into, right? How can we protect our interests or rather our privacy with, with AI? I, I, I think I read something yesterday saying that the big model of AI, we need to keep feeding them data. So for a website, there was a robotx.xdxd. Basically, the rule saying that I don't want your robot to, to, yeah. to take my data from my website. But AI right now seems like they just don't care about these rules. And then, you know, just spider, just download whatever they want to, to fit the, the, the big models. I'm seeing that actually AI or rather the, the machine learning stuff are trying to overcome the systems or rather the rules, the custom that we set. So that might be an issue in the future. How do you prove that a user... And there's no answer to this, but how do you prove yes. that whatever on the internet is not an AI, but a user itself? Because what's happening is they're, they're creating viruses that just emulate what a user would do. AI could do that really well. And if you can't differentiate between a regular person and, you know, someone who shouldn't be there on a network, then I mean, we're, you're, you're shit out of luck. You're talking about the AI. It can hide itself anywhere. I mean... But I don't, I don't want to talk about that today, to be honest. That's just what's in my head. I want to talk about some other stuff. You are the founder and CEO of Margin X. Really cool, perpetual DeFi company. I know we're going to talk about the Bitcoin ETF's impact in Asia. I'm really curious. You're Singapore-based. You're talking about how Token 2049 is like basically one of the largest, you know, culmination of like people coming into one place in Singapore. What, what is Margin X? What do you guys do? Right, so Margin X is a perpetual uh, DEX. So, so what we did is a bit different. Is we actually this protocol or rather this freedom called ELO, Automated Limit Order Book system. Uh, so basically, users just provide liquidity. Then we will just like MM. So we will populate the orders according to the the X Y equals to K equations. So so users can trade the perpetual just like MM, but without the, the market maker. So, but it's an uh, limit order book systems instead of a swap. So this is what we did. So we, we actually make the so-called the order book or rather the perpetual order book become so easy that not even uh, the middleman market maker needs to come in to provide liquidity. How do you not need to have a market maker? We just had on a previous episode, 
talk about market makers. Do you think there's no need for them or they would adopt the software? Uh, the MMXY equals to K. So we actually modified this equation. Then we put in some funding rates because the, the current MM model, they only cater for sports trading, not perpetual. So we actually modified this algorithm, make it even if uh, the, the order book without the interference of market maker, the order book will be populated by the algorithm itself, just like the current MM, but with the funding rate equation and the liquid the liquidations equation. Do you foresee any like regulatory challenges in the future in the US? I think I, I think we need to differentiate like what they are actually looking at. So if we are looking at like the tax thing, I think Great yes, answer. I mean there, there will definitely come in. But if we make it more like a I mean from a trading perspective, so we if we make it like just an MM model or even with the, the decentralized features and elements in it, just like Bitcoin. So I think for that particular point, we are we're good to go. But for the tech side, as in the protocol will make money, and then it's a decentralized protocol, we'll set on some IP barriers. You should like 100% guarantee that there will be no US users will be coming in. So, so I think that there will be some issues, I mean, uh, along the line. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you could do your best. Right. And you have to do your best. Yeah, I'm sure you would like to see some like good US regulations come out that allow you to like accept US users, but it's like, that's what's just going to happen in the, in the, in the short right. term. Right, right. Like if we're about to enter a bull market, or we are in one, uh, how is no not yet? I I mean I'm I'm market neutral. We we run an, a a decentralized protocol. So and then for us is when it's the bull market, then we see the the trading volume will go up, going up, which we are actually happy. Uh, we we are seeing more users and more trading volume, and then there will are more interest in decentralized protocol. Is that happening now? Uh yeah yeah we we are actually seeing the trading volume is spiking. Okay, good. Yeah. Compared with our performance six months ago, obviously we are we are doing pretty good. I mean, this is an uptrend, I would say. But are we are we seeing that we are at the bottom of the bull market, or rather the, the beginning of the bull market? Um, I, I can't really sure that. As in, there are so many factors we we haven't actually factor in. Halving is one, then the Fed rate uh reduce, and then I mean there are so many things. There's so many. Things. Yeah, there's just so many. elections, regulations. Right. Right. So, so this year, I mean, U.S. elections will be, I think, on, on November or December. And then the, the Korean elections will be uh, coming as well. So I think yesterday or the day before yesterday, um, both opposing party and the, the current running party, they actually sort of like giving out a, a new policy that is in favor of cryptocurrencies. So even in oh. Asia, like Korea, also looking at how to regulate cryptocurrencies. So, so not only US and not only Singapore. I mean, everything is just moving to that good directions. Like, you know, we are seeing Bitcoin or rather cryptocurrency as the currencies or of the assets and they want to regulate it. And once the floodgate is open, I think more and more uh, traditional trade fund monies will come in and yeah, who knows what's what going to happen, right? You, you're right. You're right. It's, it seems so like, do you think the Bitcoin ETF was that moment that needed to happen in order for all these things to come forward positive? Yeah, I, I will agree. So I think the, the Bitcoin ETF is something like the, the judgments, the, the verdict from uh, the court, the pressure from those big guys, you know, uh, BlackRock, and then, yeah, yeah. Black Fidelity, Fidelity and yeah, yeah, I mean, Ben Eck the, the, the and pressure and then the, the judgments of like in favor of cryptocurrencies. And I think Gary Gessler, the chairman of SEC, when I read yeah. his, his statement, it's like, 
I have no choice but to vote yet for the Bitcoin ETF. Everything is just there. And then the market is also, you know, looking for the alternative. So we can keep seeing, yeah, yeah I keep really seeing the net inflow of Bitcoin, right? Just crazy. Do you, um, no, he really didn't want to approve the Bitcoin ETF. Yeah. You're so right. So the, the question I have is like, when this bull market continues to grow and rev up and snowball effect, how will trading be different this time than it was like in 2021 from a token holder perspective? Like, how are things different? Okay, obviously, it's the, the money. I mean, normally, when we trade Bitcoin, or rather without our era without ETFs, you know, that we can't see like the trade fund monies will come in because of their mandate, right? In On their uh, mandate, the fund mandates, they can say, okay, we, we can only, you know, go through the oh, yeah. asset class that um, approved by SEC. So, so this time, ETF is something that approved by FCC. So the trade fund money so, so, so yeah. really can come in. And then secondly is um, obviously the, the regulation. So before uh, or rather uh, on 2021, um, the, the KYCs or rather the, the money laundering um, regulations or the implementations is, is not there yet, I would say. So if you if you go to yeah. Coinbase right now, they will ask you if you want to transfer your funds from address A or from Coinbase to address A, then they will ask you to, to fill in the, the whitelisting even though because there's a, the travel yes. rules implementations. After the travel rule implementations, KYCs, then I think the next thing very soon would be tax, would be the income tax. Yeah. So this time, I think what really happens is not only the funds, um, you know, the, the way we're going we're gonna to interact or we're going to buy and trade or sell cryptocurrencies, but also the regulations, the tax. So before I think on on next uh the if you happens to to see on offshore exchanges there will you will see a quite a fair bit of wash trading like people spoofing you you know the trade and then try to manipulate the markets I think but on this stage after three or four years regulations being implemented all these rules and that I think the so called the environment will be cleaner as well. There's a lot of talk about decentralized prediction information kind of like it's a, it's a big thing, depends. Can you kind of like unpack that for my listeners? Right, right. Which part do you want to, you know, like hear more about? What does it even mean? Okay, DPIN, I think uh, it's a decentralized physical infrastructure network. So you will see a lot of like DPIN's projects on Solana. I think DPIN happens in 2017, uh, 18. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, like the internet yeah, right, of right, things. Right, right, right. So, but after a while, I think people start to, or rather the, 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 the DPIN thingy or the IoT, IoT thingy of, from crypto blockchains to keep fading away. For example, <laughs> um, I, I was uh, participated with a project called uh, Pundex before. So it's since 2017. It's a point of sale system. So back then, we we actually doing this, I mean, on, on uh, merchants. So people can come to, you know, just a point of sale. So people can just pay through the machine, the post of the point of sales machines in the store and in, yeah. in the restaurants in the cafe. So when we started the project in 2017, 2018, no one really sees that, right? No one really sees that as the DP because the, the concept hasn't come out yet. So so people keep seeing that, oh, this is a so-called a payment project. But uh fast forward until today or last year, rather last year. So so people start to see. So this is uh physical infrastructures, right? Just like um Falcoin, just like uh Randall. Oh. So it just said uh, you need a physical things that then you are uh, leveraging on the tokens and incentivizing the users to expand um, the so-called network effect. So just, just like, uh, like the Pundex example, so we were incentivizing oh, like users and merchants to 
sort of like um to install the point of search systems and we also incentivizing the users to come to the oh, store like to use yes that's right that's right that's right it's just they are using um wi-fi or, or draw draw location yeah. service all this thing so solana phone is kind of doing that like a mesh network or whatever too right right, right. that's right so i think dpin is something that we are leveraging on tokens or rather cryptocurrencies to to expedite or to ex to expand the network effect of that particular blockchain or e- cryptocurrencies that can benefit the users at the at the end of the day. Very cool. Well, Doc, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show today and, and teaching us. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Have a great day. It's Thank nighttime you. for me. It's morning for you. The cycle of life continues. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, everyone. Nice to meet you again. Thank you. I'll see you later. We're going to have your show notes and information, like your Twitter and everything in the show notes, so people can follow you. Thanks for my listeners and leave reviews, please. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Charlie.